Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose is focused on educating, empowering, and investing in women to support them with harnessing an entrepreneurial mindset to create the change in the world for the greater good. Through this series, we connect with women from all across New Zealand to inspire, teach, and share their pearls of wisdom through storytelling and sharing. I'm Catherine Vandermeulen, the founder of Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose. Welcome back to Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose. This afternoon, we're joined by Josie Pagani, the Executive Director for the Council for International Development. Hi, Josie. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. Yes, post-COVID, muddling on like everybody else. Living and breathing. You're out of your slippers. Out of my slippers, yes. I, I think I was just telling you that I, the first day where we were allowed back to the office, uh, I had to turn around. I got halfway to work, realised I still had my slippers on. So, yes, COVID had a quite a profound effect on all of us, really, and our wardrobes. And you didn't think that was socially acceptable at that stage to go into the office still in your slippers? Actually, one of the alarming things was that I almost did think that was socially acceptable now. So... <laughs> I think one of the impacts of COVID is that I'm not quite sure what's acceptable and what's not now. So, yes, but no, I did anything. Anything is truly acceptable. Um, <laughs> I've noticed that particularly living in a rural community. Anything, yes. anything is acceptable. And in New Zealand, yeah. Mm. We specialise so on track pants and slippers in, for outerwear, but yes. It begins there. So my first question really to you is, who is Josie Pagani? Yes, that's a hard question to answer. And I realise that you change the answer as you go through different stages in life. You know, it's a bit like when you realise that you've stopped identifying with the lead character in the film and you've started identifying with her mother. Uh, And so now if I was thinking, you know, who am I? How do I define myself? I'd start by saying, well, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a sister, um, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, uh, I'm a proud New Zealander, I'm a very bad Catholic. Um, And then I would say um, I'm I'm a wearer of many hats. And at the moment I'm the director of Council for International Development So it's an umbrella organisation for the international aid agencies. Um, I also do media commentary. So I have another way I define myself as a a sort of political commentator. And and I'm also involved in in sort of global think tanks around politics, around sort of progressive policy and stuff like that. So like most people, it's really hard to define yourself uh, in a a way that makes sense to people. But I'm all of those things. So many different life roles and many different life hats. Which is your favourite role uh, and which is your favourite hat if they are different? Yeah, well, that so that really goes to the heart of what do you think, what is your purpose, isn't it? Because mm. I guess, um, you know, I think that the, my kids are now old teenagers and um, and I kind of think, well, it's you know, being a mother is my key role um, and it changes again as they get older and being, an, being a mother to I think a young adult child is different again so that's a different role and then when I think of my my work and of course these things all blur into each other anyway it's not like us women make a distinction particularly uh, but into if I think of a purpose in terms of what I do with my work time um, it, it's 
it's all driven, I guess, by my involvement in politics. And then when I think what my involvement in politics is driven by, it's a, it's a sort of sense of the importance of, of policy and, and decisions that get made that can really make a difference or not make a difference. And mm. that's a deeply political challenge, whether you're doing it in aid and development or whether you're doing it for a political party or, or in an organisation. And so what have been some of the policies that you have been involved in as, you know, an advocate and a change maker that you have really seen that depth um, to creating impact in? <laughs> Um, probably the one I'm most proud of and the one that I can actually say made a difference because you can't always say that, can you? That's the challenging thing about the work that we do. You can have purpose, but you, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have impact. The The one uh, policy area that I got involved in that I'm really proud of was, was uh, paid parental leave. So I was working for a political party at the time in opposition. There was no paid leave in New Zealand at that time. This is around the early 2000s. Uh, just before 2000. So, um, you know, you basically took time off and that was it. You didn't get paid. You took time off your work uh, and that was it. You, you just went without an income. And as a result, mums uh, and dads, but mums were going back to work sooner than they wanted to because they had to. Uh, so we ran a, ca yeah, we ran a campaign uh, in opposition, then got into government in 2000. And a um, few years later, it became policy and it started off, was a real lesson actually in uh, not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. So we started off with, I think, 12 weeks paid parental leave. That was the campaign. Um, you know, it was funded by um, uh, government at the time um, and uh, an employer, employer levy. Um, and it's grown since then. I think now it's over 26 weeks. So it was, and I remember at the time there were huge debates about this is not good enough. You know, mums should have much longer than 12 weeks, which was absolutely right. But, you know, we, it was the important not to go for the Ferrari version of paid parental leave and go for the Toyota Corolla version first. And then you get a stake in the ground and then you move up and you move up and others pick up the baton. And now we've got, you know, a really generous paid parental leave scheme. So that's probably the one I'm most proud of. I've read some interesting research about the first thousand days that a child needs to yeah. have with either uh, or both would be ideal uh, with their parents and how important it is for their psychology and for their, uh, the development of their minds as well. So uh, well done on being part of that um, part of that journey. So I'd love to hear more about your original call to adventure to joining the Council for International Development. Mm. Um, if I'm really honest, and you always kind of question yourself whether you should be on things like this, but Absolutely. If, I, if I'm really honest, and I think this is probably true for a lot of women, I saw the job. I, I worked in aid and development over a number of years. I'd worked at the OECD in Paris and in uh, aid and development advising you know, gov OECD governments. So I, I, it was already an area that I was in, but I saw the job come up to run the Council for International Development as the sort of NGO umbrella organisation. And I looked at it and thought, well, you know, that's what I'm passionate about. But I also thought uh, this is a small organisation and I'm able to get into a leadership role as a woman. And you realise, you know, it's so hard. Uh, certainly it was, I mean, a few years back, but to, to get into those CEO director roles as a woman. And so, you know, there was part of me thinking, right, 
I've got to go for this because this is my chance to again to kind of put a stake in the ground and go right I can I can do a leadership role I can convince myself I can uh, and I can convince others I can so sometimes I think the call for purpose comes after and and it made me think that that you know purpose is is human it's flawed it's messy um you feel deeply in touch with it at times and you feel the purity of it at times and other times it gets buried and you feel you know you feel like it gets overwhelmed with things that you need in life put food on the table pay for your kids school uniforms um or or even you know your ego gets in the way so so it made me think that yeah purpose is is messy but it's there it's always there even when your motivations are kind of muddled so why didn't you think even a few years ago that it was you know of, of why did you think it was so hard to get to those kind of roles as a woman as you described it there's a story that a friend of mine told me she worked in a law firm and actually it comes back to the paid parental leave stuff too uh but uh, she was uh, at a baby shower for two young, I mean, they're in their late 20s, early 30s, probably early 30s, two young staff, one was male, one was female in this law firm, both going off to have babies. So they had a joint baby shower and it was lovely and everybody congratulated them both. The father-to-be goes off and, and has some parental leave. Um, the mother-to-be goes off and has her parental leave and has the baby. Um, the father comes back quite soon the mother stays off for a whole year even a bit longer and at that point it's like she my friend said she looked at those two sitting there and she said that was the moment where their career paths diverged and mm. you know he was still on a, a partnership track in that law firm and she suddenly wasn't quite on the partnership track because she went you know she had more time off she wanted to be with a baby then she went part-time so she didn't take the big hard jobs and so on so it's partly partly that just that systemic thing of of you know when you want to go off and be a parent it's really really hard to keep yourself going up the career ladder uh, and I and I think that's better I think flexibility is better now I think there's a better understanding that just because you take time off or you go part-time your brain hasn't gone part-time and neither have your leadership potential um, but it's still really hard and the and the other thing I find for for women I think and I think this is true that we ha- I never want to generalize about all women because it's silly but but I think there is a tendency for us to to, to feel like we're a bit fake, you know, and that we have to sort of fake it till we make it. And, you know, there are other people more qualified than us to lead. And so you tend to sort of sit back and it's that wonderful, you know, mantra of, you know, lean in. Um, uh, what was her name? Who, who, who did the wonderful lean in book, but, mm, you know, um, sure. uh, you know, actually push yourself forward and actually why not you? You know, if you mm. think somebody else is better qualified than you or they've got more experience, uh, they probably haven't. They might just be better at pitching uh, or negotiating. So I think it's those two things, really. You mentioned before about a career ladder. And I think as I get older and as my priorities have changed, a career has become far less important than mm. the role I play as a mother. Why is a career ladder important? Or is it important? Yeah, I think I think this is, and I'm sort of jumping through some of the questions here, but I think um, there's something I've thought about a lot that that 
if you if you are really in touch with your purpose and and purpose to me is about authentically understanding why you do what you do um and and if you if you feel like you're really in touch with that sense of yourself and and your decisions your values really it's about values i guess then it shouldn't matter what what you do in a sense like you you may not be an entrepreneur you may not be uh, um, going up the career ladder, you know, you may actually be sitting in a job or doing a job that you don't particularly like, but you can still find purpose in it if if you if you're in touch with the values that are important to you and the sense of of you know what you want each day of your life to be. I guess so. Yeah, you're right. I mean, career becomes less important when other things become more important, like being a mother. Mm. But I but I do think that sense of purpose actually grows. Uh, it's not necessarily career success. It's the closest answer I've got to happiness, I think. Mm, and a bit more holistic and a bit more life success. And I've recently done a 21-day meditation with Deepak and Oprah about wow. success and what success actually looks like. And it's not defined by one thing. It, there's about eight or nine different things that what actually defines success and I feel as I get older and my priorities start to change that success takes a very different uh, viewpoint. And I think that's one of the uh, dangers of thinking about purpose as simply working up the career ladder Um, because, you know, as I said, a lot of people won't be the successful entrepreneurs. By definition, you've only got so many uh, people who can really succeed in a field. And it, when I say succeed, I mean, you know, they, they can be recognized as CEOs or the top of the field or the business grows or the organization develops or whatever. Uh, and so you have to kind of think, yeah, what what does purpose, how, how do I live my life with purpose even if I don't get those um, recognitions externally, which mm. it, purpose is partly about that, but it's not wholly about that. And no matter what stage of life you're at and whatever role you're playing, you know, and I think, as you said before, if those values are there on a personal level, then they Mm. can play, the purpose piece plays into any of those roles. Exactly. So I'd love to hear more about some of your key learnings on your journey and your experiences that have really changed or impacted your life in a meaningful way. Yeah, I, I mean, it's funny talking talking about this. You realise that it's it's actually the disappointments that have been the best learnings. And I know that's a bit of a cliche, you know, you learn from failure, but actually, it's true uh, that that you know when you don't get the job you want and you end up in a job that you don't necessarily want to be doing, but actually, you know, you may need to do it because you just need an income. Uh, there there are there are still ways to find purpose in that I mean I worked I remember once uh, after I'd sort of failed to become an MP which was my big mission in life you know to get into parliament be a member of parliament and and change the world and so on and you know I missed out I just missed out on the list and ended up doing a job for um, NZTE our uh, transport organ- uh, government department and uh, sorry NZTA and um you know, I was thinking, well, I've got, I've got, I don't know really anything about roading. I don't, I'm not particularly interested in that area, I, I, you know, and I'm not, 
I'm not inspired by this. It's not my purpose. Um, but but after I've been there for a while, I kind of I got to know some of the engineers and how they do a benefit cost analysis of each road or each infrastructure project. And it was fascinating. And, you know, I kind of found that you can apply your own values and the stuff that you're interested in, no matter where you end up, you know, you're still you're still going on a path, I guess. So I, I think that, yeah, the thing that I, when I think about what some of the challenges have been, um, I think it's that sense of being able to find some some purpose and something that inspires and excites you, even when you're in a job you don't particularly like. And do you think we only truly learn when we get to those places of challenge? Oh, Absolutely, because I think that's when you really stare at how much of your purpose is ego and how much of your purpose is something that's deeper than that. I mean, it might be, uh, um, you know, a mission uh, that you've decided is important to you um, or it might just be a goal that you want to achieve, but how much of it is ego and how much of it is that you think you're contributing to something that's bigger than you. And when you get the setbacks um, and take the wrong turns I mean I worked I worked in the film industry for about six or seven years what I do now has absolutely nothing to do with the film industry so you could look back on that and go that was a wrong turn you know that's nothing to do with politics nothing to do with aid and development Um, but actually you know I learned a hell of a lot about that I learned to be you know resilient I learned to uh, I, I was a woman in the camera department. There weren't any women in camera departments then. I learned how to move heavy film equipment by dragging it on a carpet because I wasn't as strong as the men. Um, and and you you know you you learn about working as a team and things like that. So you apply all those stuff to the the, the stuff that you get into later. That's more to do with who you are. So yeah, absolutely. The 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 failures are your best teacher. You mentioned before when you're talking about purpose, um, you mentioned the word contribution, and it's certainly been something that's been coming up as a consistent thread uh, throughout our conversations and through our mm-hmm. workshops as a word that really uh, is probably an easier way to describe purpose. I would love to understand more about your contribution to yourself and what some of those daily rituals and routines that you do that make you the best version of yourself. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it, because I think, especially through COVID, you know, a lot of people are facing job losses and or, or, or lost opportunities, too, which is a hard thing to measure. And I think you realise that what's important about um, purpose, I suppose, is feeling relevant. And it's really hard if you feel like what you're doing is not relevant or that you're no longer relevant, whether it's that you're older or you've lost your job or you just don't have a place in the new normal post-COVID. You know, it's, so I, it's made, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think um, that sense of contributing or being relevant is, is deeply human. You know, it's deeply important to us as human beings. Um, so for me personally, that's a big driver. Yeah, am, am I actually contributing? Am I relevant? But also, um, I, I, if you, th- I, I had um, a, there's a writer I really like called Paul Collier. He's an economist, and he wrote about. And this is thinking about politics. The I think it's six values that that drive the way people vote, and one is loyalty, uh, fairness, liberty, hierarchy, um, care. And sanctity, and and those are really good values. I think that can sum up 
purpose in different ways, you know, that people feel a sense of purpose with any of those values, actually. For me, the sense of fairness is a real driver. Um, and if I think of the, it's usually purpose that can connect all the muddy, messy bits of your life. And for me, it was, it, it, it's very much about snobbery, not liking elitism, whether on the left of politics or the right of politics, whether in, you know, aid circles and development or, or wherever, you know, People who think they're a little bit better than others uh, is, is the thing that really gets drives my sense of um, uh, fairness, I think. In terms of daily rituals, uh, a cup of tea. <laughs> I always have a cup of tea. Um, I try and do exercise every day. I, I try and get up earlier than everybody in my family so that I can actually think and just have a moment of, of, of kind of collecting my thoughts about the day, sitting down, uh, and organising myself. And I think think those daily rituals are really important. You mentioned before about the new normal, whatever that might mean, and, you know, really mm. designing potentially what that new normal could be. How did you use that time through COVID to create new opportunities towards that design of the new normal? Yeah, the, the great thing about COVID, and I have a colleague in the Pacific uh, from from Tonga, and she said to me halfway through lockdown, uh, we're loving COVID in the Pacific. We don't want people to get sick, but it's drive, it's accelerating change. And it's a sense of, you know, everything has changed and nothing has changed. So the trends that were there before COVID are still there, but they're being accelerated. So the big one that we're seeing in the Pacific has been uh, about localization or, or devolution. And this idea that, you're, that you genuinely are devolving decision-making and resources to local people. So that, that's the same with regional development in New Zealand. But in the Pacific, it's to do with the aid that we give to the Pacific or the, or the development projects we do. And one absolute clear example of that during, during lockdown was we had a massive cyclone, uh, TC Harold, in Vanuatu and Fiji, Tonga as well. And uh, no one could go there. We couldn't fly there and be Superman and Superwoman and rescue people. So what we had to do was actually back the capacity of local people to respond, keep paying their salaries so they can keep going out there, um, you know, make sure that they've got the capacity to, to, to respond themselves. So that was a real lesson. And actually, we're not necessarily needed to go and be, you know, Superman and woman. Uh, we just need to back local people to, to solve, the, solve these issues themselves. And that works. And they really can then facilitate that. And that's where you create those sustainable communities because exactly. excuse me, it's not just that aid coming in to the rescue. It's actually we'll give you and support you with the resources. But if you actually do the activation and the implementation of that, there's a far deeper connection from what I've seen in creating sustainable uh, communities. And that still applies to creating sustainable business models. You know, you have consultants that come in and you know, sweep through and uh, do all these amazing things and then they leave you with a report and then, you know, it's up to you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's much like that, um, yeah. I guess, in, in the aid um, towards some of those things where there have been uh, significant impacts. Exactly. So we were thinking about impact for you and for your organisation over the next 12 months. What will your focus be? So our focus will be on trying to actually capture some of that that you've just talked about and, and go, okay, Lockdown meant that we had to accelerate these trends, one of which is that devolution, that real, that, um, you know, basically, as you say, handing over control and decision making. 
Um, but also the other element that we'll be focusing on is, is a new kind of sense of regional approach as well. So we, during lockdown, we had Zoom calls with, you know, our colleagues in Australia, colleagues right across the Pacific, uh, DFAT, Australian, the Australian Government Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, MFAT, our Ministry of Foreign Affairs here. And it was amazing. Suddenly barriers broke down, you know, governments talking to community groups and vice versa. And this new sense of behaving regionally, so we collaborate more, that we, you know, we're much more aligned about what we're doing. We're breaking through the barriers that stop us sort of talking to each other regularly um, and working together. And so we'll be looking to really accelerate that regional approach and that localization devolution approach. So we're really developing a wonderful sense of community with the um, men and women that are uh, in the community of entrepreneur women with purpose. What is your call for action that you would like them to take from this conversation that they could actively, um, you know, activate back in their lives as well? I would say partner with the unlike-minded as much as the like-minded. And, and that's something that we really push uh, in our organisation. So we, we try to partner with businesses and the private sector and social enterprises and bring them, even bring them into our membership uh, so that we're not just the NGOs and the charities. Because if you're focused on the mission, not the brand, i.e. the brand of your organisation, but you're focused on the mission, what's, who's best positioned to deliver a real difference to people, say, in the Pacific or in South Sudan or Syria? Who can best deliver that change? Um, who can best supply that help that's needed? It might be an engineering firm or it might be a charity or it might be a government department. You know, it, So, yeah, that, I think that would be my call to action. Don't be afraid to partner with the unlike-minded as much as the like-minded. And so what would be an action that organisations could take to find out who those unlike-minded partners are? <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, it's hard. I mean, networking is, is one of those things that becomes a, a, a deliverable, an outcome in itself, and it isn't. It's just a way to an outcome. But, you know, network wherever you can. You know, network the hell out of stuff. Go, go to any event or occasion that you can and take risks. Um, I met a guy who does the risk assessment for Bear Grylls, you know, Bear Grylls mm -hmm. doing these TV shows. And he yeah. does all that. You imagine doing risk assessment uh, analysis for Bear Grylls going up into the mountains. And he had this great phrase where he said, you, you do risk assessment in order to know where the edge is, not to not go to the edge. And I thought that was a great metaphor for, for risk taking, you know, know where, the, know where the danger is, know where the edge is, but go there. Because when you know where it is, you can go closer to the edge. And so I, I, I guess the, the call to action on that would be, you know, take some risks and go out and network um, the hell out of it and meet as many new people from different organisations and sectors as you can. And I guess that's something that's been really important to the community of entrepreneurial women with purpose is, you know, you don't necessarily need to know where a conversation is going to go. You can create a conversation, have, you know, the depth of a conversation and build that relationship without necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, thinking about where is this actually going to go and just having a, an open-hearted and a vulnerable conversation uh, with someone without having a true intention. Yeah, exactly. It. I've got, yeah. there's a great guy, uh, Majid Nawaz, who's a, a radio host and uh, in, in the UK. Uh, and he, he, 
he came up with this phrase, no idea is above scrutiny, just as no person is beneath dignity. And you're right. That's like go into a situation, have a debate about Black Lives Matter, have a debate about identity, all the difficult things, freedom of speech. No idea is above scrutiny, just as no person is beneath dignity. Yeah, be prepared to not know what the outcome of a conversation might be or a collaboration might be, uh, but be prepared to be challenged and challenge yourself and, and challenge the, others. And that's <laughs> yeah. where all the fun and magic happens. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you so much, Josie, for sharing your world and your very own hero's journey with entrepreneurial women with purpose. A great pleasure. Thanks for asking me, Catherine. Entrepreneurial Women with Purpose is proudly sponsored by Hello World Travel, Jaguar, Rind and Dilma Tea, with all of our profit contributed to UN Women Aotearoa New Zealand towards women's economic empowerment into the Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm.